Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Friday, December 22nd. Today, it's time to talk music again with Sunwriter Kevin Simpson and G. Brown, director of the Colorado Music Experience. Before we begin, a quick message. Join the Colorado Sun on January 4th as the politics team looks at the 2024 legislative session and what we can expect to hear from legislative leaders. RSVP for free today at coloradosun.com events. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1909, Colorado Springs accepted a 480-acre bequest from railroad director Charles Perkins, establishing the Garden of the Gods as a public park. This unique area, with its striking sandstone spires framing Pikes Peak, had captivated onlookers since the 1850s gold rush. Despite its barren landscape, prospectors frequently explored it for minerals and oil. Initially considered for development into a vacation home by Perkins, the area had a history of preservation efforts, including a failed 1886 proposal to make it a national park. By 1932, the city expanded the park to include iconic landmarks like the Balanced Rock. Today, the Garden of the Gods is renowned for its extraordinary rock formations and remains a celebrated landmark in Colorado. Before we continue, a quick thank you to our members who make it possible for the Colorado Sun to bring you your news about our beautiful, complex state. If you aren't yet a member, consider joining now to support local journalism and gain access to member newsletters. Start your membership today at coloradosun.com join. Next, our feature story. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Why? Santa Claus is coming to town, gather round. He's making a list, checking it twice, he's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Well, happy Friday before Christmas, Colorado, and welcome once again to our good friend G. Brown, who's making a list, checking it twice when he's not busy tending to the Colorado Music Experience at colomusic.org. You really got to check it out if you haven't already. Happy holidays, G. Back at you, Kevin. Good to hear from you. (laughs) So, you know, G, every time I go to the site, uh, it's kind of like unwrapping a new Christmas gift uh, with all the new content you guys keep adding every every month, it seems like there's something new, whether it's blog posts, profiles, and so much really fantastic audio. So real quick, what's new this month? Well, thanks for the kind words. I hope we're not offering up lumps of coal here. Uh, <laughs> we're, uh, this month, we're really excited about some new audio content, tracks from KFML which was Denver's legendary underground. Right, we talked about them last time, yeah. Exactly, back in the early 70s. This stuff's really popular, and uh, we've unearthed three new tracks, audio tracks, that were broadcast on KFML back in the day, uh, live from Ebbets Field, the Denver's premier concert venue back in the 70s. So something from uh, Elvin Bishop, you remember old Elvin? Absolutely. With, uh, Fooled around yeah. and fell in love. Yeah, that was his uh, pop hit. But ripping guitarist used to play with Mike Bloomfield, right, in the Butterfield Blues Band. Um, but a version of Traveling Shoes. Leo Sayer, people might remember. Um, 
a little pop for some people's taste, but really a talented songwriter, uh, a track uh, that he wrote that was a hit for Roger Daltrey of The Who, oh, wow. actually. Uh, and then we've talked about the Dillards, uh, kind of a personal passion, but uh, unearthed an old air check from the disc jockey Jerry Mills, who uh, interviewed the band when they came by this, the station to play live. And uh, um, yeah, it's really a period piece. Let's leave it like that. I'm not sure what they were smoking, but uh, <laughs> it sure comes across. So that and uh, a few other uh tidbits it's always nice to play a song for some of the uh recently departed stars whose music has uh, informed our lives so uh we have some tributes on there as well some links to some material that illustrates their greatness right so in a few minutes uh we're going to talk about the year in music 1988 and your on record book that looks at the music from that year and like we did last time we talked we're going to throw out a music trivia question from the quiz that you guys have up. This is a really great feature on the onrecordbooks.com site. Uh, you've got them from each year that you've got a book, of course, but we're going to focus on 1988 and then give you, give you the answer before we sign off. So what have you got for a trivia question, G? Okay. Well, uh, this is from volume five, 1988. Uh, of on record uh the members of the traveling wilburys we remember that super group they all adopted nicknames as half brothers from a fictional family jeff lynn was otis roy orbison was lefty wilbury george harrison was nelson tom petty was charlie t jr but what was the pseudonym for bob dylan we'll give you four choices uh for bob dylan zimmy Money bags, lucky, or stinky Wilbury? You choose. <laughs> I, I love that question. And uh, listeners, while you ponder that one for a few minutes, uh, we want to take note of uh, the passing of two local music giants in recent weeks, uh, guys who had fascinating and significant careers, both locally and on the national stage, though a lot of folks may not be familiar with their impact. So, gee, first, uh, tell us about David Booker, who you always described as one of the hardest working men in show business. He really was. I, uh, oh, I it's losing him as a, a huge loss. David was born and raised in England, in Manchester specifically. Left-handed guitar player, emigrated to America and arrived in Denver about 1981 and just became the focal point of the local blues scene. Uh, and spent his entire career promulgating that. He changed his uh, actual surname from Bowker to Booker, David Booker, as in book me, <laughs> which is all he said to anybody. Uh, he, he gigged with so many bands and configurations. Captain and his Red Hot Flames might be the most uh, famous of the lot, actually released a 45 or two, uh, but it was always in performance. David was the one guy I knew who knew how to un how to scale what he did, right? He could play solo or with a duo, trio, a band, a bigger band. He'd do whatever it took to get a gig, and two or three shows a night wasn't unusual. We've 
commiserated with friends about how he used to drive to the other side of the state for a $125 payday, didn't even blink. Uh, a lot of folks might know him from being a regular at El Chapultepec. He held blues jams on Monday nights there for a lot of years and also was a DJ on KUVO hosting some blues shows, specialty shows and the like. So just a guy who knew everything encyclopedic knowledge of blues and roots music. So he lost his battle with uh, prostate cancer and uh, we will miss him. Oh man. Well, the, the other guy we'd like to talk about, I, I, I just love his career origin story. Uh, Jim Salstrom, who we also lost a short time ago. I, I love how he talked his way into working with the sound company setting up for John Denver's 1972 Red Rocks show, which course was the one where he introduced his song rocky mountain high and that launched really quite a career didn't it yeah uh jim would tell this story at the drop of a hat it was the <laughs> biggest thing of his life to meet john denver in 1972 there's actually a sweet picture of uh the two of them uh on in our newsletter this month that encounter with john denver informed jim's entire career he ended up recording and performing with John and uh, a ton of other stars, Dolly Parton, most notably. He toured the world as her lead guitarist and harmony singer. They were doing up to 250 dates a year uh, back in the day. My favorite iteration of, uh, of Jim's career was the Wild Jimbos. This was <laughs> a band he put together with uh, Jimmy Ibbotson of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and Jim Ratz of Runaway Express. And they recorded an album back in 1991. It was produced by Sam Bush or uh, Sambo, if you will, <laughs> as opposed to being a Jimbo. And uh, Jim went on to release a bunch of his own albums. He lived in Summit County for decades. Um, he just was the, the warmest, most respectful musician you can imagine. Always available for any kind of performance. Uh, weddings or anniversaries or parties besides his bigger shows. And he passed away a few weeks ago in his home in Arvada. He battled cancer for a decade. Oh, boy. Well, we, we've got a really cool clip uh, of Jim G. Tell the listeners what we've got. Well, uh, he's performing. The, this audio comes from a smaller performance, but it's him doing John Denver's Rocky Mountain High. Uh, Jim got to sing it at the Colorado State Capitol back in 2007 when it became our official state song. So this is an approximation of that, but you can hear why, uh, uh, why John Denver was his idol and why John took Jim under his wing. Okay, here we go. Jim Salstrom, Rocky Mountain High. I still the clouds have been blown Cause everything as far as you can see And they say that he got crazy once And he tried to touch the sun He lost a friend but kept the memory Now we watch in quiet solitude The forests and the streams Seeking grace in every step he takes well, gee, you know, several days ago, uh, the Colorado Sun published a helpful guide for folks who might want to give the gift of a book to someone on their holiday list. And we got some Colorado authors to suggest their favorites. So it's only right 
for the last minute shoppers out there that we offer one more suggestion. And fortunately, fortunately, we have the author right here, and that would be you, G. Give us a quick, oh. yeah, give us a quick rundown of the on-record series of books and who might enjoy them on people's holiday gift list. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. These do make wonderful gifts. That's the one thing I uh, can promise folks. Uh, on Record is a book series. It's uh, coffee table style books that tell the story of popular music from the years ranging from 1978 to 1998. We've got five volumes out right now uh, from various years. Each one has more than 2,000 rare images, uh, 100 interviews with the artists. Uh, they're from every genre, from superstars to one-hit wonders. So uh, I know uh, it's it, we are available uh, online at uh, <laughs> various uh, corporate monoliths, but also in uh, every bookstore. If they don't have it uh, in inventory, they can certainly order it. But I appreciate the opportunity to let people know about them. We're real, real proud of it. The response has been incredible. If I could also put in a quick word, we've also got a book called Red Rocks, The Concert Years, uh, which is an award-winning coffee table book about everyone's favorite outdoor amphitheater. Hundreds of photos from leading professionals and uh, the history of the place. Uh, conducted more than 200 interviews with an array of performers who've been on that stage, uh, all sorts of archival images. So there you go. That's my plug. <laughs> all right. Well, I, and I've looked at these books. They're all interesting in their own way. But I want to zero in on the vol volume that recounts the year 1988, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, what kind of surprised me as I paged through it was how this was such a breakout year for so many female performers. Uh, from Tracy, uh, Tracy Chapman, Melissa Etheridge, Edie Brickell, uh, and more and more. Uh, what are some of the emerging stories from that year that really captured your attention? Well, you bring up Tracy Chapman. Uh, she actually leads off the book with all these female performers. Uh, it's interesting that uh, she's in the news more than ever just because of uh, the country artist who has a hit with Fast Car. Who is that, Kevin? The country artist who does Fast That's Car. Huge smash on the country charts I, right now. You got now. me there. <laughs> Not Trace Adkins. It's uh, one of the big names. I'm sorry. I just listened to Tracy's version. Uh, her story <laughs> back in 1988 was pretty interesting. Just a very uh, mild-mannered singer-songwriter. She was uh, attending Tufts University, and one of her classmates uh, had a father who was a big hitter in the music industry, SBK Entertainment. And uh, he connected the two of them, got her a record deal, and uh, she exploded on the scene with that song, Fast Car. So um, that's uh, an interesting career path. And she went on to make many more records, a very socially conscious young woman. Uh, yeah, I, I enjoy that one. Yeah. I re yeah, I remember buying that album uh, specifically for that song. Uh, and the whole album was really good, but uh, Fast Car, uh, wow, classic, instant classic. And, you know, th that was also the year that the music world was introduced to the traveling Wilburys that we mentioned earlier. And, boy, what a, a great story that 
just it ended too soon. With Roy Orbison's passing uh, a year or two later, uh, it put an end to that uh, super group. But I always enjoyed the fact that it was, not to use buzzwords, but organic, if you will, or holistic. Uh, this was the same era that you had people uh, making records without being in the same place, right? right. <laughs> being able the nascent technology of, say, Frank Sinatra's handlers uh, getting Bono to record a track in England and they, you know, uh, send it digitally back into the studio and they pair them up with an existing Frank uh, Frank Sinatra track. He was too old to perform himself, really. And you know, this is the famous duets album. It always bugged me that uh, it was so popular based on this artifice basically but the wilberries were great you know jeff lynn met tom petty uh on the highway somewhere right <laughs> stopped off hit it off and uh started just jamming rehearsing calling in all their their buddies so they were all in the same room at the same time uh the super group of some of rock's greatest names and uh made a, a wonderful couple of albums so 1988 was it was such a great year for music, and it's hard to pick a single clip to salute it. But since our time is limited, uh, what would you like to share with our listeners, G? Well, this is just a bit of a curveball. Uh, let's hear the Proclaimers. Um, everyone knows this song. It was a huge hit. Uh, I'm going to be 500 miles. A uh, couple of Scottish twins, the Reed brothers, and... The irony is that the song was released in 1988, but it was not a hit until years later when it was featured in the movie Benny and June, that vehicle for Johnny Depp, Aiden Quinn, a few folks. Good movie. But uh, yeah, I just thought we should point out that the record actually came out <laughs> when no one heard it. Uh, it wasn't until years after that it became an earworm. All right, well, here we go with the Proclaimers, and I'm going to be 500 miles. Well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who gets drunk next to you. And if I heaver, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who's heavering to you. But I would walk 500 miles, and I would walk 500 more to be. Well, gee, we don't want to sign off for the year without touching on a bit of holiday music. So, uh, so many pop artists have contributed to the genre over the years. What What are some of your favorites? Oh, I've got a ton. I'm partial to the waitress's Christmas wrapping. I like that one. Uh, I always thought uh, Slade's Christmas song, that was the uh, English hard rock band of the 70s. Uh, I, I love it all. I don't know. It's just kind of a hobby gone haywire to hear all this stuff. It's turned into its own genre. Everyone and their <laughs> brother does a Christmas album these days. And uh, I'm not so sure that <laughs> that's a great idea. But um, my favorite currently is Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues, uh, simply because Shane McGowan, the leader of the Pogues, passed away last month. Uh, he was famously known for 
how you said, you know, melding traditional Irish music with kind of a punk attitude, right? He was of that generation and just a brilliant songwriter. And this song, a classic duet with, uh, sadly, Kirsty McCall, who's also left us. Uh, but this is their little portrayal of a pair of contentious lovers who turn against each other on Christmas Eve called Fairy Tale of New York. You promised me Broadway was waiting for me You were handsome You were pretty queen of New York City When, when the band finished playing They held up for more Sinatra was swinging All the drums they were singing We kissed on the corner Then danced through the night The boys of the NYPD choir Were singing Go away play And the bells were ringing out For Christmas Day And how about you, Kevin? Well, I, I was raised on Bing Crosby, so that's what always marks the holidays for me. In fact, our intro music was Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters, so that's uh, that's kind of my wheelhouse. But I came to appreciate lots of others. Uh, it's probably not real PC these days, but I still like James Taylor and Natalie Cole's duet of Baby, It's Cold Outside, and... I know some people can't stand it, but th this time of year, I get Paul McCartney simply having a wonderful Christmas time stuck in my head. Um, but you know me, G. I'm, I'm an old Jethro Tull fan uh, who thinks their Christmas album is one of the great overlooked seasonal gems. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, as you should. Uh, I'm a Tull fan, too, and I don't want to deal in stereotypes, but I dare say the British take Christmas really seriously. I won't compare them to Americans, but uh, uh, you can hear the passion, I think, in, uh, in their Christmas songs. You know the great tradition over there. It's a big deal about what song's going to be, number one, the week of Christmas. Ah. It was kind of portrayed in that movie Love, actually, if uh, anyone remembers that. But um, yeah, big deal over there. So you go with your tall cab. Okay, so I'm... I am going to go with uh, Tull's instrumental version of the classic, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Here we go. Of course, gee, no discussion of holiday music would be complete without delving a little bit into the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band and their classic version of Colorado Christmas. First off, even though they were originally from California, is there a more Colorado set of musicians than this one? Uh, I think that in the 70s, there was, uh, they were synonymous with Colorado. They moved out here uh, and just set up shop in the mountains, various uh, cities in the foothills from Evergreen to Aspen. And yeah, just uh, adopted the lifestyle of Coloradans in the 70s. But I always enjoyed the story behind Colorado Christmas, only in that it was written for them by Steve Goodman, a wonderful singer-songwriter who left us way too early. Uh, I would describe him glibly as 
uh, John Prine's uh, twin brother of sorts, right? Uh, just the same type of brilliant songwriter. Uh, and Steve did this uh, again on commission. Uh, and he balked at first just saying, hey, I'm Jewish. What the heck am I going <laughs> to why am I writing a Christmas song? I said, well, you know, because you're, you're good. So he did. And the results are undeniable. Well, that's certainly a, a great, great group, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. And speaking of great groups, let's circle back to our trivia question so listeners can see how they did. Okay. The question, once again, the members of the Traveling Wilburys adopted nicknames as half-brothers from a fictional family. Jeff Lynn was Otis, Roy Arbison was Lefty, George Harrison was Nelson, and Tom Petty was Charlie T. Jr., Wilbury. And we asked what the pseudonym was for Bob Dylan. Zimmy, Moneybags, Lucky, or Stinky? And the answer, of course, is Stinky. I mean, (laughs) it was Lucky. Lucky Wilbury was uh, Dylan's nom de guerre in the Wilburys. Well, I've got a, a little corollary here I'll, I'll add in. Uh, speaking of, of names, uh, Tom Petty voiced a character named Lucky on what long-running TV series? You got a clue? Uh, do I have a clue or do I have a guess? Do you have a guess. <laughs> <laughs> Was that King of the Hill? Bingo. Very good. Uh, I, I am impressed. Yeah, a lot of folks might not know that. But, yeah, the great animated uh, series, King of the Hill, he played the character Lucky. And, and there is a story behind why he was named Lucky, too, that I won't go into, but it's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Still that you know that, Kevin. I'm impressed. That's great. <laughs> well, to, to play us into the weekend, though, and into the Christmas holiday, here's Nitty Gritty Dirt Band performing that statewide favorite, Colorado Christmas. Happy holidays, G, and I'll see you next year. All right, Kev. Thank you. not a single reindeer and it hardly ever snows. And Santa drives a Rolls Royce limousine. But all along the Rockies, you can feel it in the air. Until you ride to Boulder down below. The closest thing to heaven on this planet. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. The city of Ouray is celebrating a land donation it says will protect public access to its nationally famous ice climbing park. The Ouray County Plain Dealer reports the owner of a hydroelectric plant has agreed to donate eight acres of land to the city and the Ouray Ice Park. Visitors to the park have long crisscrossed the parcel while climbing the park's icy crags but the power plant owner reconsidered revoking permission because he feared he could be sued if someone were injured on his property. Town officials say the donation and land deal eliminate those concerns, ensuring continued access. A weekly alternative newspaper in Colorado Springs is suspending publication and laying off its staff amid overwhelming debt. The final issue of the Colorado Springs Independent, known to readers as the Indy, will be published December 27th. The weekly survived in the state's second-largest city for nearly 30 years, serving as a progressive alternative to the daily paper, The Gazette. The Indy's entire 14-person staff will be let go. The Indy's demise comes as the U.S. has lost 2,500 newspapers since 2005, including at least 52 in Colorado. 
a state task force is offering up new ideas to conserve water in the drought-stressed Colorado River and secure new funding for tribal water systems, among other forms of relief. The panel is charged with making recommendations to state lawmakers on how to save water. It also suggested new funding for removing thirsty lawns, fixes to wastewater delivery systems in cities and on farms, and the expansion of a law increasing water in streams to benefit the environment. The panel included representatives of environmental and agricultural groups, as well as industrial, urban, and rural water users and tribal communities. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Before we go, we encourage you to check out a new podcast from our friends at KUNC called The Colorado Dream. Here's a sneak peek. The new season of The Colorado Dream explores the Black immigrant experience in Aurora. It's told through the eyes of one African woman. I would sit on the beach and just daydream about coming to America. And the city of Aurora that's working to become an inclusive home for all. In the last 20 years, uh, we have a new face of the city. I'm Stephanie Daniel. Join me for the Colorado Dream Newcomers Welcome. You can find the series at KUNC.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, a quick message from our editor. I'm Larry Rickman, editor and co-founder of The Colorado Sun. The Sun is a public benefit corporation, and we rely on the support of listeners and readers like you to produce the nonpartisan, in-depth news that Colorado needs and deserves. Please consider becoming a Sun member for just $5 a month. Learn more at coloradosun.com. Thanks.